0: Please turn also to the New Testament. Our text this morning is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. We'll begin reading from Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. This also is God's holy word. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision... By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. on the reading, and also the preaching of His Holy Word. Our Lord God, we come before You and we acknowledge, Father, that we are sinners in need of Your mercy. We acknowledge, Father, that You indeed are merciful and gracious, that You would receive sinners, not only as citizens in Your heavenly kingdom, but as sons and daughters who have the full rights as Your children. Father, we... Acknowledge how great a love that it is that you have for us, that we should be called children of God. Father, we thank you for this is beyond description in our words. Father, we pray that we would marvel at your goodness and your compassion, your generosity. Father, you have forgiven us of our sin through the perfect work of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, that you are one who is patient with sinners. Father, we pray that our treasure would not be in this world, but our treasure would indeed be you. We thank you for your generous provision for us. We thank you, Father, for the gift of your Son, for he indeed is our hope of righteousness. He is our hope for heaven. Father, we thank you that he has said that he will prepare a place for us. Father, we pray that your Son, Jesus Christ, would be exalted and that your servant would be humbled. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I think through an experience that I had back in, uh, it was the summer, in between terms, in my seminary years, uh, I made a good friend who was a foreign student. And there I was in his home. He, he invited me. He asked for help. He said he needed to, his wife had told him, you have to paint uh, the inside of our, of our home. So there I was dealing with primers, right, in, in the heat in South Carolina summertime. I, I think the fumes of the of the primer were getting to me. And uh, while I was painting there, captive audience, right, his wife started to tell me about their life back in their home country, that they were foreigners in that home country. Uh, it was a home country where someone of, of my face would have been the majority of people. And I listened. Uh, I listened to her for hours about uh, the disadvantage, the lack of privilege that she had. And after all of that, maybe it was the primer talking, but I saw a gospel opportunity. I listened to her and I said, I can see that you have no privilege where you came from, but you and I together have hope. That because of our heavenly citizenship, because of what Christ did for us, we have a hope of a better place. Meaning that, hey, I'm not making light of the disadvantage that she has. No, I'm not. I'm not saying Christians should not try to, to work to change those things. What I am saying is that this was actually an advantage for her. If everything were perfect, everything were right, everything were comfortable, we would say we have no longing for another place. Perhaps you're in a similar place. You can identify with her saying things aren't right where we are in our home. This is not saying we should not give thanks for the home that we have, for the country that we have. It is saying, though, that because we are not accepted as their own, as our own here. Jesus warns us about that. If, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because I have chosen you out of the world... Therefore, the world hates you. Can you understand this? But this is actually an advantage to say, you know what? I am just a sojourner here in this place. Whatever country it is, we ought to make it better. We ought to desire that it would be a better place. But you, as a Christian, should be able to say, my home and my heart are in another place. Because my citizenship is in heaven. We should not be locked into this time, this place... Our hope is eternal. Our hope is in heaven. Yes, we ought to make it a better place here. Yes, we ought to make it better for those around us. But our longing must always be for an eternal home. We must never forget that as Christians. And here we see in this passage, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Here, when we think about this book of Ephesians we have our glorious Lord Jesus Christ presented and God speaks about his love for his beloved bride the church and here in this passage in Ephesians chapter two the apostle Paul is starting to get to that right he talks about Ephesians one God's grand plans and how you have the father the son and the Holy Spirit are all they're all involved in the work of salvation. Then in Ephesians 2, is as if he, he recaps some of these things. And in our passage in verses 19 to 22, right, he, he gets, he kind of gets to the closing where he's talking about how salvation is not merely thought of individually, right? If you, if you had Christians who heard the gospel and believed, and then they decided, well, I'm going to go off and live in my own hole, right? That Christianity would, would really be incomplete. And the reason why in verses 19 to 22 is he speaks about how God has his love for his bride, the church. That there was a plan that God had and that there would be unity and peace and the work of the spirit in his bride, the church, his people. And this is because there was the making of one. There was two and then it became one. The two become one. The Jew and the Gentile become one. All the groups, however many there were, let's call it two, has become one in Jesus Christ. There is a new humanity that is made. And this is Christ's beloved bride, the church. So the truth that we see in this Ephesians 2.19. By union with Christ, you are no longer enemies, but citizens of heaven and children in God's house. By union with Christ, you are no longer enemies, but citizens of heaven and children in God's house. We'll look at this in 3 points. The first is the old has passed, we're no longer enemies. The second, a new status as citizens with the saints. And third, a new family as children of God. So, the first the first point old has passed, no longer enemies. There in the first part of verse 19, so that you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So here in verses 19 to 22, he's coming to the application of the truth of the gospel and the peace that that our Lord Jesus brings. And this is God's plan for harmony in the building of Christ's church. So that those who are far off, that uh, we've been brought near by the blood of Christ, that's, that's Ephesians 2.13. That this being brought near, that Jesus is the one who has provided us access to the Father in one spirit. That's verse 18 to 18. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So uh, here we speak about how we're no longer strangers and aliens. We're no longer foreigners. And instead, we are fellow citizens. We're citizens of heaven. And not only that, we're members in the household of God. Then he continues, and then he talks about how there is only one foundation, right? So we are not suddenly uh, completely separated from history, from God's redemptive history, that we don't suddenly become Christians outside of anything else, right? Hey, I just opened my Bible and... I, I believed and suddenly I'm a Christian and I'm connected to no one and nothing. Here he's saying you have the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being that cornerstone, that most important stone. He's cornerstone is 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 where the foundation is laid, right? And here he addresses the matter of being joined together. That because of Christ we're joined together, growing into a holy temple in the Lord. That we are part of this. Dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So here we we take a step back and we think about why it is that we are strangers and aliens. It begins with the fall. That men are by the fall, meaning when Adam and Eve sinned. That this was not just a fable. Right? This is not just a a. Uh, a myth, right? Some people talk about how Christianity in the earlier chapters of Genesis are are myth, and they might even say it's inspired myth. That's a load of baloney. That if if there wasn't a historic Adam and Eve, how would you explain everything else from chapter three on to, the, to Revelation? None of it will make sense, right? So you think about how. The, the deceiver comes, and he starts to hack at this tree, right? So, hey, I'm going to take down the tree of truth, right? And it's going to begin with one hack, and it's, well, the first few chapters of Genesis are not historical, right? They're only myth. Well, this is, this is the hacking of the trees that starts to happen. And when, instead of saying, okay, well, well, we'll give you that. No, 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 no. We don't give that. We take that. It is truth, you, d- you deny scripture at any one point, you deny it all. That's right. Here, we look at how the fall happened. And it has ramifications today and until Christ returns. Right? You think about what Christ came to do. Christ came. He was the new Adam. He, he came to deal with the effects of the fall. right? So here, the fall brought uh, the status that we have in sin... Being enemies of God. That that men in sin are enemies with God. And the mark of, of being enemies with God is that you have no peace. There's no peace vertically. No peace with God. And the result is that there's no peace within. Right. Have you ever wondered this? You talk to someone. A peer. A subordinate at work. And... You make some kind of suggestion. It's not a "you shall." It's a "hey, have you considered?" Right? So it's "hey, have you considered?" And and then immediately it's "hey, why are you judging me?" It's "hey, wait, wait a minute. I made a suggestion." Right? And, and you think about "hey, in this person, you're you're this person's boss, even." Right? "Hey, I made a, I, I just made a suggestion." You think, "why Why is this person suddenly becoming defensive?" Well, have you ever thought about someone who is? under the weight of condemnation of God? But won't that have some effect on his demeanor, on his psyche, on his life? Right? This is having no peace with God. Right? You who have peace, right? In other words, you who have peace, that there ought not to be this defensiveness because right now, you know, Romans 8, 1 and 2, is there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right? Hey, I have God on my side. There's no condemnation, so it doesn't matter who, which man condemns me, right It doesn't matter what human court condemns me. it should not ever be for the wrong reasons, because of, of genuine guilt, right? But it matters not because we have the Lord who says, this one is mine. I mark him off, mark her off as my own. Here, men that also, because of the fall, are enemies with each other. So because there's no peace vertically with God, there's no peace within, and having no peace within, then suddenly there's, there's no peace with fellow man. Here, we think also back a few chapters later in Genesis, you have the Tower of Babel, right? So everyone spoke the same language, trying to build this tower to reach to God. Right and, and the interesting wording of God, who says, "Let us go down." Right, let us go down to see what man is doing. So here's man saying, "We're going to build this tower up to God," and God is saying, "Hey, we're going to go down to see what they're doing." And God say, "Separates, separates the people, separates the nations." Right. So they couldn't understand each other until, "Hey, wait a minute, you and I were talking the same language," and and then the nations start to form. Right here, you think about how. There are foreigners, and you think about foreigners, ultimately, they're not trusted. They're enemies. Well, you realize that there's only two possibilities. Either you're going to be strangers and aliens to God's kingdom, or you'll be strangers and aliens to this world. There's only two possibilities. You trade one for the other. If you take one, you don't have the other. I hope you can understand that simple principle. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, speaks earlier about how we were strangers and aliens, and even worse, we were enemies of God. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And were by nature children of wrath. Like the rest of mankind. This is, this is part of the bad news. Right? That we were children of wrath. We were enmity with God. We were strangers to God. And to his people. But in Christ you then become strangers and aliens. And not because of your own declaration. But because of the world you then become enemies of the world. you think about the the person Abraham. We don't know what he looked like. Right? He lived, was it several thousand years ago? But you know what? By faith, we must see him as our forefather. Meaning, Abraham, some people call him a Jew. I call him a Christian. Right? Jesus said that. You know, John chapter 8. Abraham rejoiced. At the coming of my day. He saw it and was glad. Right? So Abraham was a Christian. Of all people. That's we're Christians. That were are descendants of Abraham. By faith. And you think about how he lived. <clears throat> God goes to Abraham. He tells him these promises. Right? He tells him. Hey listen. You're going to. Genesis 12. You're going to leave. You're going to leave your family. You'll leave your father's house. You'll leave everything that you know. And you go to this foreign land you wonder hey was Abraham a man of faith indeed he was Right, he, he obeyed God he left behind everything he knew he left behind the idol worshipping of his father's household to worship the one true and the living God and here I, God brought Abraham he says we're going we're gonna to pass through we're going to pass through this land he says, this land is all going to belong to your descendants I'm making you a promise I'm letting you see I'm letting you see you're a sojourner Hebrews 11 speaks about this very principle. You're a sojourner in this land. Meaning, you won't taste it. You will live in a tent in this land. He says, your children will have it. And Hebrews explains all of this. The focus was never that land. You think about the battles being fought. uh, The lives being lost. Blood being spilled. It, It wasn't anything specific about that land. Have you ever played the game of risk, children? Well, you know that... That, that area connects Europe and, and Asia and Africa, right? It's important to have. That, that's kind of like this passage. That's, that was God's design, but the focus was never that land. You look at Abraham's focus. Abraham's focus was heaven. This, this land was, was only a, a type of heaven. And, and later the author of Hebrews says, hey, if they wanted, they could have gone back. But the answer is, it wasn't, it wasn't the fulfillment. The fulfillment is heaven itself. And that Abraham was was here on this earth as a sojourner; He was just passing through. So also for you and for me. We're either foreigners in this world. Or foreigners to God. In Christ. You've been brought near to God. Into his household. His citizens. And that means that you will be a stranger. And a foreigner in this world. Jesus spoke the words so powerfully. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. You feel the love? You feel the love? The world would love you as its own. But Jesus says, "Because I chose you out of the world, that is why the world hates you." If you want the love of the world, there's something you got to give up. It's very clear. You just need to give up Jesus Christ. And the world will love you as its own. You cannot have both. You cannot have both. Galatians 6.14 But far be it from me to boast. Except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. By which the world has been crucified to me. And I to the world. Here. We're no longer enemies. We're no longer foreigners to God and his kingdom. This is a good thing. It must mean, though, that we are foreigners and enemies to this world. That is a cost that you and I must accept. We must embrace it. It's a reality. So that's the first point. The old has passed. Second point. New status as citizens with the saints. But you are fellow citizens with the saints. Here, when we think about citizens, we think about duties and privileges within a political entity, whether it be a city or a state or a nation. And here we think about how, as citizens, there is the, the right to vote. And when you, when you talk about uh, uh, the, the right to be drafted, right, you realize that it's not just citizens. You, know, you have permanent residents. They can be, they can be drafted too. Right? So that's, that's not distinct to citizens. We have the citizens' right to vote. You look back to uh, the time of the Apostle Paul, that he was, interest- he was an interesting fellow, right? He, is a- he was a Christian, but he was ethnically a Jew, right? And he was also uh, a Roman citizen. And he used that to his advantage in Acts 25, right? Uh, you know, back then, there was an understanding that people who were not free... Uh, could not speak the truth so that they had to be whipped in order to draw the truth out of them this is what was happening, about to happen to the apostle Paul and, and it was Paul who used his Roman citizenship to his advantage who said to the centurion hey wait a minute uh, what's, what's, hap- what's happening here right? is this, is this right, right is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned right? so hey, you can't flog a Roman citizen to get the truth out of him this was not permissible these were certain privileges of citizenship, Roman citizenship. <clears throat> Here, we think about the statement "But you are fellow citizens with the saints. And you ask, citizens of what nation? It's not any one nation, but a new humanity. Earlier in the verses... 15 and 16 that the Jew and the Gentile, the two were being made one. The two are made one in a new humanity. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. What's important for us as citizens? If you think about the privileges that we have—certain privileges, right? As citizens, that we have full status. That it's not as if the Jewish Christian has—he's uh, a super citizen—and that you, as a Gentile Christian, are just a citizen, right? We're all citizens. Citizens in heaven. There's 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 not a special status. And through Christ, your citizenship. Is in heaven. Philippians three twenty to twenty one. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. So in Christ, your citizenship is in heaven. You ask, is it possible to have dual citizenship? Well, yes. You have citizenship in, in this world, in the nation that we're in. But our citizenship ultimately is in heaven, right? You have a passport, right? You, you land on a plane from a foreign country, right? You, you get to the airport. There's the, the processing, right? You, you get in the citizens line instead of the, the permanent resident or the, the uh, alien line, right? Say so alien is not from outer space. Alien meaning uh, alien, someone not from the, the, the local area. A foreigner. You realize your passport, your passport to heaven is the person of Jesus Christ. He alone is the one who brings you to the Father. He alone is the one who gives you true access. And you ask, how does Jesus give it to sinners? He gives it to sinners and he commands that we would receive it by faith. It's faith apart from works. Now here, we think about this citizenship. And we think about how foreigners can be brought near. And this is where the story of Ittai the Gittite comes in. And you think about how Ittai the Gittite, right? How does this, how does he come up, right? How how does David have relations with uh, these people from Gath? So it goes back to, uh, toward the end of 1 Samuel, the book of 1 Samuel, David was constantly being hunted by King Saul. So the existing king of Israel, who was a crazy madman, right? he had it in for not only one of his uh, trusted, high-ranking officers in King David, or, or David, but he was also his son-in-law. And David was, was kind of getting tired of constantly being on the run, uh, roughing it in the desert. And eventually he says, hey, I'm, I'm going to seek refuge in, among the Philistines. So he goes there. Right, and he, he befriends one of, one of the rulers, right, and, and then then he apparently was there for some time. He he made friends, right, and here we have fast forward to Second Samuel chapter fifteen. That this is after David had sinned by committing adultery with Bathsheba, and then there was the murder of Uriah the Hittite, right? This was was not the murder of a stranger. He was actually a close trusted friend. It was betrayal of the utmost. But what you have is God saying to David, Yes, you're forgiven, but the sword will never depart from your house. And you have the second half of 2 Samuel all showing God's truth, God's prophecy coming true, that the sword did not depart from his house. In this very scene, what we have is Absalom leading a revolt against his own father. David in shame having to leave his palace, having to leave his capital, Jerusalem. And here was this man, Ittai the Gittite. And what David was doing is not as if David didn't trust this man. What David was doing is saying, I'm not requiring you to suffer with me. So, children, you think about yeah, and you think about some of the uh, let's just say the, the greatest hits. The greatest hits in the Bible, right? So you have the first greatest hit, right? The beginning of rap music was, uh, shoot, who was that guy? Uh, okay, we'll go on to the second greatest hit. Second greatest hit, right? Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands, right? You remember this song, right? This, this is this is what the women, the Jewish women, were singing, right? So here, Goliath was from Gath too, right? So the people, the Gittites. They had no love for David because, hey, we, we remember we remember that song. You killed ten thousands of us. So here you have Gath. Apparently he made friends with people from Gath. And David was saying, hey, uh, steadfast love and mercy or, or mercy and truth be with you. He's, he's blessing the guy saying, hey, you just showed up, showed up here yesterday. Go back and serve the king. Essentially, David's saying, I'm in exile now, right? I'm I'm a fugitive. Absalom has taken over. You can still serve with him. And he gives him a way out, right? Hey, should I expect that you're going to rough it with me in the field? And then you think about the words that, um, that Ittai says. He says, as the Lord lives and as my Lord the king lives, where my Lord the king shall be, whether for death or for life, there also will your servant be. You remember, was it in Deuteronomy that God said to, his, to the Israelites, his people, hey, you may only, you must only take God's name in your vows. Meaning, you cannot use the name of any other foreign god. You cannot use the sun or the moon. It is God alone you must, by which you must swear. So here, as the Lord lives, this is, this is a vow that Ittai, the Gittai, was taking an oath and he was using the Lord God. As his witness, so perhaps we distill this down. What we're saying is that Ittai the Gittite was a convert. He was he was a follower of Jesus Christ, so to say. Perhaps what you can also say is is very reminiscent of of the statement of Ruth, right? Who was the Moabite? Your people are my people. Your God, my God. So here, this is this is a foreigner, Ittai of among enemies, but somehow there was a loyalty between him and the God of David, and David, which, who is now his king, right? So he says, as my Lord, the king lives. So he acknowledges David as his king. And you look later in Second Samuel chapter 18, when it comes time to organize these men, that David has his men divided by three, one under Joab, one under Abishai, their two brothers, and then one under who? Ittai the Gittite. And you ask, is this the, the situation where someone who was a foreigner has been brought near? He has the privileges, right, of citizenship. He's saying, it's a good thing to suffer with God's people. It's exactly as Moses did. He suffered with God's people. So that's the, the second point, new status as citizens. We have the third point, a new family as children of God. And members of the household of God, the very end of verse 19. So here, it goes beyond that. It's not just citizenship, not just privileges and duties as citizens, but it, it becomes someone who is of the household of God. Perhaps you are asking now, how does one become family to God? There's only two options. One is by eternal generation that existed only for one, for Jesus, who is the only begotten. And the other route is by adoption. It's by being adopted into God's family. The route for that is quite simple. Galatians 3.26, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. If you're outside of Christ, there is no adoption. You're enemies of God. Perhaps someone will say, Hey, wait a minute. How can you say God is your father? God's everybody's father. Right? You hear people say this? Hey, you don't have any special status. Everyone can claim God as Father. Everyone can claim God as Father regarding Creator. That we're a creature of God, but it is only by covenant through Jesus Christ that you have God as Father, that you are considered sons. That you have privileges as sons and daughters. And this only comes by the covenant that Jesus makes with us. That Jesus is the mediator of a new and a better covenant. So if, if you are going to be saved, if you are going to be children of God, it is only by believing upon Jesus Christ. John chapter 1 verses 11, th- sorry, verses 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, Who believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God. Who were born. Not of blood. Nor of the will of the flesh. Nor of the will of man. But of God. Here. Through Jesus Christ. He freely offers you. Sonship. And all the privileges of sons. The inheritance. That comes in heaven. The forgiveness of sins. Eternal life. Here. Understand. That this is the good news of the gospel. And it's great news for sinners. I ask. Do you come from a broken and a divided home? Was there no love? No good upbringing? No inheritance in your household? The spirit of the age says that we should look to the state. We should look to society to provide all these things. The answer is, they cannot deliver. It is only through the perfect work of Jesus Christ that you can have a new status. You can have a new family. All of these things are offered to you through Jesus Christ our Lord. You realize that these promises cannot be duplicated by the world. They're mimicked, but they're only a mockery. Of what, the, what our God offers to us. In the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here. We think about. The importance of Christian family. God commanded it. That we would love one another. That people who are so vastly different. Might say. What unites us. What unites us. Is a common love of Jesus Christ. Jesus is. Our brother, And we are co-heirs with Christ. God is the Father. God also commanded it. Because this would be a testimony to the world. John 13, 35. By this all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. Meaning, if you love one another as, as mutual members of the same family. It's also... For the sake of evangelism, have you ever wondered? <clears throat> have you ever wondered this? Do people have do people have nuclear families today? You think about how broken society is, how bro- the, the state of marriage and families. You know, people have some place that they call family, and and there's not a biological father, biological mother, and siblings, right? It's, it's not what it is. They're going to have their They're places of love and acceptance. And you ask, what about someone who comes from a different religion? What about someone who comes from a completely different community? If a Hindu or a Buddhist or a, a Muslim, if they became a believer, what would happen to their families? They would reject them. They would disown them. They would be dead to them. And you ask, why would someone unite themselves to Christ if suddenly everything about love and friendship and kindness they're, they're driven away from, if they're left floating? In other words, we have to think about what kind of effect this has on a person and how God's design is that such people would be received into Christ's kingdom here. This is why there ought to be love in Christ church for one another. We look